is and who he is and what he is. And my favorite is the one who said he was equal parts God and equal parts man. When in fact, are you ready to really have your, your minds explode? Because what I'm going to tell you is a theological truth, but again, you won't be able to comprehend it. He was fully God and fully man. And if you can grab that one, you're a bigger man than I am, Gungadin. I just know it's true. I just don't know how. And we've been talking about that, haven't we? Because we're right now we're in the towards the end. We have one more one more after this called Back to the Basics, God and Grace. And the basics are not just about theology. We're not doing all that kind of stuff for the basics about the church. Because when it comes down to the basics, it really is about God and grace. The passage that we kind of have used as our, our model patch we kind of launch up from is this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will, be a, you will abound in every good work. So, God gives us all the grace we need. And as a matter of fact, not only that, what we've learned so far is the best word to describe Christianity is not love, because love is misunderstood. What does that actually mean? You're talking about God's love, you're talking about human love, eros, all that kind of stuff. The best word to describe Christianity is the word grace. Because none of us deserves anything. None of us deserves anything, 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 everything we get. Every good and perfect gift, everything we get comes from God graciously giving it to us. Not because we deserve it, but because He is. It's not about us, it's about Him and His goodness and His love and His grace. What we learned so far is this, that God also graciously reveals all that I need to know. If it wasn't for the fact that he graciously revealed it, I would never know very much about God at all. As a matter of fact, I couldn't know anything about God because I can't study anything. There's nothing to look at. There's nothing to study. So God graciously, he doesn't have to, but he wants to, he chooses to reveal himself a little bit, not everything there is to know, certainly not everything I want to know, but everything I need to know. That's what God reveals to me. And he's done it, first of all, in nature, you can find God in nature a little bit. The Bible talks about that. He revealed it in the written and the spoken word, what we call the Old and the New Testament. God reveals his heart. But that wasn't enough. He actually decided to reveal in a better way, in a way that would be a little easier for us to comprehend. And it is so important for him to reveal these things to us that he came through the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. We'll talk about that more and more. That's why this whole thing about who is Jesus, yeah. We're learning what Jesus is all about. Now, here's what we learned about God. Not only does he graciously reveal all that I need, we learned this. God is good. and he, God is God, and he's not like me. Okay, There's no other way to describe it. God is God, and he's not like me. So what is God like? Well, he's God. I can't describe him. The only thing I can tell you is he's not human. He doesn't think like a human. He doesn't act like a human. Remember the old Roman and Greek gods? Do you know what they were like? They were humans. They acted like human beings. They were selfish. They were, they were rotten gods. And that's why people were rotten. They were just following the gods. But our God isn't like that. The real God, the true God, isn't like a human being. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't behave like us. His values are not the same. You can't figure him out. He's not just an exalted human. He exists actually in a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not three separate gods, not one God appearing three different ways. He exists in a trinity and in perfect harmony with himself. I can't explain it. I can tell you. That's all there is. 
Now, what we started to look at a couple weeks ago is that this. Jesus is the answer to the four basic questions of life, because we're talking about back to the basics. Ready? When we're asking these four basic questions, the answer is always going to come back somehow, some way to Jesus. Okay? God revealed himself in nature. It was wonderful. God reveals himself in the written word. But this is so important to get right. It's so important to answer these four questions that God revealed himself in the flesh. He put on humanity, not pretending, but actually becoming human. We call it the incarnation, carne coming from meat. And it just means he put on flesh, humanity. He put on a body. He became human. And through that, we now understand the answer to the four basic questions of life. First of all, here's question number one that we talked a couple weeks ago. What is God like? Okay. One answer. What is God like? Jesus. Okay. So you never, ever, ever have to ask that again. If anybody ever says, well, tell me what God is like. Say, well, he's like Jesus. Read about Jesus. You'll know all about God. This is what Scripture says. We look at this son and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and we see God's original purpose. Did you understand what he just said? You can't see God. We understand you can't see God. Can you see Jesus? Can you read about him and know him? Good. Now you've seen God and you understand him. That's God. For everything, absolutely everything, above, below, visible, invisible, rank after rank after angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. In other words, God said, I want you to know what I'm like. So the second person of who I am will come down and show you. I've told you through the prophets. Now I'm going to show you through my son. Okay? And so what does Jesus reveal? Not just tell us, but he reveals about God. Oh, he's good. He's a personal God. We get to call him Father. And he's good. And how good is he? Well, he's this. I tell you, he is, God is Jesus. God is a Jesus good father. Okay? We all have fathers. Our fathers let us down. Some of us are fathers. We let our kids down. God is a father. He never does. Uh, God is a Jesus good father. You take the goodness of Jesus Christ, you understand and apply that to God. That's what he is like. All right? Good. Second question. We looked at this one. By the way, all these sermons are online if you want to go on and take a look at the podcast. The second question. How can I know God? Okay, what's he like? How can I know God? The first answer, what is God like? The answer was Jesus. The second question, how can I know God? The answer is Jesus. Okay, that's how you know God. Not only does he reveal what God is like, but he's also the way. He doesn't show us the way. He doesn't point the way. He doesn't write directions and instructions and say, now go down here, turn left, and you'll find God. He's not showing us the way. He is the way. One time his disciples said, show us the way to God, that'll be fine. And this is what Jesus answered. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus said, you want to know what the Father's like? Right here. And you want to have a relationship with the Father? Through me. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. It's through me. Now, how is that possible? Two reasons. Ready? Jesus came to do what I couldn't do, be completely and lifelong obedient. What my Father was asking from all of us all of our lives was just to be obedient, trust Him, believe in Him, and be obedient. Not one of us was able to do it. Even the very first human being 
And our God is such a permission-giving God. Remember, he, he came to Adam and Eve and he said, look at all the things you can do. You can do it all. There's just one thing I don't want you to do. Just one. Think of all the possibilities of things you can do out there. One, don't do it. What do they do? The one thing they're not supposed to do. Because that is so human. And all of you who have been parents know that, don't you? Yeah. We have been disobedient, and we can't be completely obedient, so now we're in trouble. Because we messed up. We call it, what? Sin. Now, Jesus came. And Jesus was perfectly and completely obedient from birth to death. He did everything the Father wanted him to do, even when he came to the Father and said, look, I really don't want to die on the cross. I'd rather there be a different way that we could save the world. But if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. And the Father said, it's the cross. And Jesus said, okay, stood up, face the cross. He was completely obedient. But how does that help me? Him being obedient, how does, he died for me, he paid a price for me, but how does that really help me? It helps me this way because my father now asked me to place my trust into Jesus. My father comes to me and says, okay, you can't be perfectly obedient, can you? I know you can't. You can't go back and make up for all the things that you did. You can't do that either. I want you to do this. If you really want this relationship with me, let's do this one thing. Can you obey me in this? Will you stop trusting in your goodness because trust me, you don't have any. Can you trust my son's goodness in your place? Can you put your trust into Jesus? See, our faith and our belief is like a deposit. There are lots and lots of banks around here. I think most of those banks are probably okay without any problem. But I have actually put my trust into U.S. Bank. They hold all of my accounts and my mortgages. I have put my trust. Now, I believe in Bank of America. I believe in these other ones. They exist, and maybe they'll be okay. But I'm not trusting them. I put my trust into U.S. Bank. You don't believe in Jesus. And many people do. You saw that. You know, oh, I believe Jesus existed. He was a historical figure. Fine. But are you putting your trust into him? If you're not, you're not being obedient. And you are not saved. You do not have a relationship with God. Because God says, here's what I want you to do. Take that trust. Put it into him. So that if I ever ask you, why, once you get up to heaven, and you say, why are you coming in these doors? Why do you think you have any right to be here? I'm going to point to Jesus and say, I'm with him. I put my trust in him. He did it perfectly. I didn't but I trust in his perfection. And that's all I can tell you. And my father will say, good answer. Come on in. Okay? Now, this morning we answer the third question. Here it is. What does God want from me? See, it goes this way. God has been so good to us. And he has. I mean, uh, when you really stop and you look at, it, at the world, I know that there's pain and suffering in the world. We talk about the hurricane, but... But I really like that one song by Louis Armstrong, you know, It's a Wonderful World, because it really is. There is far more love and graciousness and goodness that we see around us. We don't focus on those things. We kind of focus on the bad parts, but 
It's a great world, and our Father has been so very good to us. Now, how do we respond to that? What does He want from me? In, in response to this goodness, He's come to me and said, here's all this good stuff for you. Now, what do I do about that? How do I live? What does He want from me? Ooh. The many ways that people have answered that question over the centuries. You realize that some people have answered that question and in doing so have caused the invasion of other countries? Wars have been fought over that question. Millions have died over that question. What God wants me to do is invade a country and force those people to obey Him. We now see that also in some of the other religions in the world. Right now, within the Muslim community, there is a group of people who believe that it is God wants them to invade another country and force people to accept Him, and if not, kill them. And then there are others within the Muslim community that reject that. But the same thing was true in Christianity. In our history, we've done exactly the same thing. There was a time when we believed, as a church, that God wanted us to invade another country and by the sword force people to become Christians or kill them. Now, very few believe that now, but we did. But that's okay within Christianity. What does God want me to do? Sometimes what happens is even within Christianity, huge wars have broken out. Prior to, and by the way, one of the, one of the worst things that ever happened to warfare was the Reformation. The Reformation is when the Protestants broke away from the Catholics. Prior to that, all the wars in the, in the world tended to be about land, and, and you kind of compromised back and forth. And it was, they were bloody, but, you know, not too bad. Then came the Reformation, and suddenly we have so many different ways of thinking about God and so many ways of thinking about what God wants me to do. God wants me to be in a church where we worship angels. God wants me to reject all of that. God wants me to believe this. God wants me to believe this other. God wants me, and it's so important to me that I'm going to go to war. And the first war like that was called the Thirty Years' War. And the bloody, bloody, bloody Christian wars started as Christians began to slaughter one another by the tens of thousands. Because God wanted me to make you follow my idea of God. Incredible. What a question. What a way to answer it. When we look at that question, what does God want from me? There are going to be two basic ways that humanity answers that. Both of them, God rejects. Okay? So let's talk about those. The very first thing, one of the first ways that people react to this, God has been good, what am I going to do about it? This is what they do. Here's how they respond. This is what God doesn't want. The first response is this, he doesn't want to be ignored. And that's our first response. A lot of people, they, they take a look at, the, at, at all of creation and they, they cannot handle the idea that there's a God. And so they reject him or they ignore him. And that kind of ticks God off. This is what the Bible says. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him. They trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction 
left within their lives. In other words, they looked around and said, okay, but they didn't want to acknowledge God. They rejected him. They either ignore him completely or they deny him. Just like this passage right here. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. This is one of the very first human reactions to this question. What does God want from me? Okay, I'm not even going to answer it because I don't believe you. I'm not, I'm going to ignore him. He doesn't exist. Now, why do we do this? Well, I think we do this because we don't want to really accept the fact that there's something greater than ourselves. Look at all that humanity and mankind has done. It's pretty incredible. We want to think that we are the masters of the world. Incredible things that we have accomplished. And then to think that maybe there's something or someone out there who's even greater than ourselves. We don't like that. So we just reject Him. Plus, when we do ignore God or reject God, you know what it does? It sets us free from morality. There really is no right or wrong. Right or wrong is something that God says, this is right, this is wrong. But without Him, right or wrong is pretty much whatever we say it is. We like that idea too. So that's the first reaction that uh, people will cling to. But most of us have a different response to God's goodness. He has been so good. What does he want from us? What do we do? He doesn't want to be ignored, but he also doesn't want this. He doesn't want religion. And that is usually uh, our most common reaction to God's goodness. God is so good. Let's start a religion to show him how much we love him. Religion is an organized list of beliefs and behaviors, and it's all designed to please the deity. We'll, we'll do this, we'll believe this, we'll act this way, we'll sing this way, we'll light this candle, we'll sacrifice this animal, and then God will like us. He's been so good to us. This is what he wants me to do. This is how I will respond. There are so many religions in the world, all of them telling us the rituals and the beliefs that you must do for God to like you. I did a Google search just for the fun of it. How many religions are there? And it came up with this number. I have no idea to verify it, but there it is. They said there were 4,200 different religions in the world today. Now, we're not talking about the different types of ideas within each religion. It means there are 42 distinct different ways that people have decided this is what God wants for me. Here's how I'm going to live. Here's how I'm going to make him happy. Incredible. Even the Jews responded this way. God was so good to the Jewish people and uh, he protected them and brought them into the promised land and uh, disciplined them when he needed to but loved them so much. And you know what their response was? To become more and more and more religious until God couldn't take it anymore. He sends a prophet Amos and he says this to him. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and your image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. He wasn't talking about a group of people who had turned their backs or a group of people who weren't religious. He was talking to a people, group of people who were super religious. Several hundred years before Jesus, 
God sent uh, the prophet Isaiah to try to get his people focused back on what was really what he wanted from the very beginning. Get him focused back on the right things. And in the very first chapter of that book of Isaiah, God writes this, because he's talking once again about these people who become so religious, they think that that's what God wants. All these rituals, all these meetings, everything else, here's what he says. Why this frenzy of sacrifices? God's asking. Don't you think I've had my fill of burnt offerings, rams, and plump grain-fed calves? Don't you think I've had my fill of blood from bulls, lambs, and goats? When you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and running there, doing this and that, all the sheer commotion in a place provided for worship, quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. By the way, I just want to let you know that this Tuesday night, I have a meeting with the financial team from this conference. Wednesday, I have a meeting with the nominating committee from this church. And Thursday, I have a meeting with the board of administration. Just so that you know. Just saying. Meetings for this and meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out sick of your religion, 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 religion while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, you're going to be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. Now in defense of all the meetings I'm going to, no way in any way, shape, or form do I think they're part of religion. They're not. In no way, shape, or form all these meetings that I have to attend do I think God is pleased with them. Or that God will meet us. You know what? Those are things that I have to do because it's an organization. I'm trying to keep things organized. It has nothing to do with my relationship with God. It has only to do with me leading a group of people. And when you confuse all of that, when you think that these meetings and the things that we do, that's what religion is all about. That's what makes God happy. No, it doesn't. Somewhere we got the idea that being religious was the way to please God. So we turned it to a system. You've got to believe this, you've got to act this way, you've got to dress this way. You can't do this and you can't do that, but you can do this and you should do this. And you have to get up every morning at 5 o'clock and read a chapter of the Bible, otherwise you're a bad Christian. And you can't drink wine and you can't smoke a cigarette and you can't go to dances. I even was in part of a denomination that said you can't go to movies. All the things that you can't do. And it's all religious, religious nonsense because God's not in any of that. But it's our response to Him. And we think we're doing good because, see, see, Father, see how good I am? I'm not doing this bad thing, but I'm doing this good thing. Aren't I good? Religion. God hates it. It leads to a lot of frustration. As a matter of fact, in the book of Micah, in the book of Micah, there's a... God, first of all, starts chapter 6 in the book of Micah by saying, look how good I've been. He actually turns it into a courtroom, and, he, and the, the jurors are all nature. He gathers the mountains and says, now, I've got a case to make against my people here, and there's nobody to listen to it, so you guys listen to it. You know, what have I done to you? Why are you this way, people, the nation of Israel? And then finally the prophet says, okay, I'm frustrated in trying to figure out what you want. Here's what he says. What shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Does God want me to be religious and do the religious things? What if I was really religious? I mean, I was super religious and I did things above and beyond. Is that what you want, God? 
And then he goes on. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Now I am super duper religious. I'm willing to sacrifice my whole family just for you, God. Is that what you want? Unfortunately, sometimes that actually has happened. It happens more often than you think. There are some religions right now who believe that one of the best things they can do for God if one of their kids or their spouses or relatives turn away from him is to kill that person. Christians don't do it quite that way. Sometimes what we do is we just ignore our family. Because we're so religious. We've got to be down at the church all the time. Do you remember those days in particular? We tried to get away from them. There was a time when the church was open almost every night and you were expected to be there because we had prayer meetings and Bible studies, all the things you had to do. There was no time for family life. There was no time for, for private life. And some of our kids actually turned away from God because of that. We never gave them time because we were so busy being And we wind up actually sacrificing our families for religion. Fortunately, God's requirements are not so extreme. And this is what he says. At the whole, at the end of that whole thing, Micah 6, 8, when he says, what do you want from me? This is what he says. He showed you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Here? Ready? Got it. To act justly to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Okay. Pretty clear. Sacrifices, meetings, singing, religion. So far we've asked the two basic questions. What is God like and how can I know him? And the answer both times has been what? Jesus. Now we're going to ask that third question. What does he want from me? What do you think the answer is going to be? Jesus. Just like this. What God wants from me is a loving, humble, trusting lifestyle of Jesus. Now, he's not asking me to move mountains. He's not asking me to walk on water. If he does ask you to do that, get up, get out of the boat and walk. He's never asked me to walk on water. But what he does say is, you know, I sent my son to show you who I am. I sent my son to do for you what you couldn't do. I sent my son that you would put your trust in him. But I also sent my son so that you could see what I want from you. I'm looking for the loving, humble, trusting lifestyle of my son. God graciously reveals to me what I need to know through nature, through the written word, but most importantly and fully through the second person of the Trinity. And he sends Jesus so that I know how to live. Jesus comes and shows me. Do you want to know what God wants from you? One word. Jesus. How did he live? How did he react to the world? How did he react to persecution? How did he react to the good times? Where did he put his emphasis in his values? What was important to him? That's what I want from you, says God. Did Jesus attend church services? Yeah, we have some writings about him in church. One time he attended church and kind of turned it upside down and 
You can read about that one. So not all of the times he went to church was uh, calm. Sometimes he was a real nuisance. And he'd go to the synagogue and he'd read the scriptures and he'd go through all of the, uh, the ritual that they did. Yeah, he would do that. But we rarely see that. Most of the time what we see is what he's doing with his life. So we're going to try in just the next few moments to kind of sum up what it is that God is looking for. What is that, that, that loving and humble and trusting lifestyle of Jesus Christ? What, that's what God wants from us. Not your religion, not your songs, not even your money. Because your money won't buy you into heaven. What he wants is the loving, humble, trusting lifestyle of Jesus. Ready? How about this? Let's sum it up. We need to show compassion to the lot people. What does lot people stand for? Do you remember? We've talked about this before. L-O-T. What does it stand for? Least of these. You watch Jesus and you read about him. You know what? He didn't hang around with the powerful. He shunned the powerful. He didn't go to the best parties. He didn't go and hang out with the rich. He didn't go and hang out with the rulers. He was not part of the in crowd on purpose. He went to the, uh, the smelly fishermen and the rejected tax collectors and the prostitutes and the drunks, the thieves, women in adultery. Women who've been divorced seven times. All the people that the rich and the powerful and the in crowd, the beautiful people had rejected. Jesus said, that's my crowd. That's my group. That's who I'm going to be with. It's the least of these. By the way, that isn't brand new. Jesus didn't come and do something brand new. Jesus didn't come and change the whole thing around. That Before Jesus, it was all about being religious. It was all about, you know, the sacrifices. Then Jesus came and said, no, 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 you got to. No, it was never about the sacrifices. Remember those passages I was talking about? Amos and Isaiah, when they were really talking to their people, saying, man, you're too religious. This is the very end of that passage in Isaiah. After he said, look, I'm tired of all your religion. And then Isaiah says this, learn to do good, work for justice, help the down and out, stand up for the homeless, go to bat for their oppression. Hundreds of years before Jesus, God pulled his people aside and said, the prophet Isaiah said, I'm tired of religion, I'm tired of your meetings, I'm tired of you trying to please me with sacrifices and songs and money. I don't need sacrifices, and I don't need songs, and I don't need money. You know what I want you to do? Would you go out there and work for justice? Would you go out there and help the down and out? Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless, because you know what? That's what I want you to do. There's been a little bit of a movement, kind of a pushback in the church over the last few years about uh, social justice. And some of you, unfortunately, probably listen to preachers who've told you, if you ever hear the word social justice, you need to run because that's, that's bad. When in fact, it's the very essence of what we do. 
God even told the entire nation of Israel, if you don't go to bat for the homeless, if you don't stand up for the fathers, if you don't stand up and do something for these people, I don't even want to know you. About as political as I'm going to get for you right there. Here's another way that that Jesus expressed that loving, humble, trusting obedience lifestyle. Here it is. He said, you know what? I want you to love one another. Okay, I need you to really look out for the least of these, but I need you to love one another. We need to, for those who are hurting and for the community in these places where we can really help, we need to do all that we can to help here and around the world, and we try to do that within the church, and we try to do that even more. But then within the church, particularly what we need to learn to do is to love one another. Isn't it tragic to walk into a church where people don't like each other? Isn't it tragic to walk into what's supposed to be the body of Christ and to see such friction? We've all been part of churches like that. If we're like that now, I don't know it, so don't tell me. Actually, if, I, if it is that way, tell me. I better deal with it. We've all been part of those things. How wonderful to be part of a family that knows how to care and love for one another. This is what Jesus said. Let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way that I loved you. There it is. Jesus said, you want to know what I want from you? I just showed you. I really gave my heart out to the poor and disadvantaged. Well, I need you to do the same thing. I really have loved you, and I need you to do the same. has nothing to do with what you do on Friday night or Sunday morning. I just need you to love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciple when they see the love that you have for each other. Man, that's within the fellowship, within our homes. It starts in our homes. It needs to spread into the fellowship. We just need to continue to enjoy one another's presence and love to be together and do whatever we can to help. Just like Jesus would do. Another thing that Jesus demonstrated for us, because we're trying to, okay, what does God want from me? Well, what God wants from me is he wants that loving, humble, trusting lifestyle of Jesus. That's what he wants. He doesn't want the religion. He doesn't want the songs. Those are wonderful. If they help you connect with God, sing the songs. But believe me, God isn't up there going, I didn't get enough songs today. I feel bad. God doesn't care about those. The songs are for you to connect to him, not for him. I hope when we sing, it helps you connect. That's why we do it. If nobody connects with God during the singing, you know what we should do? Stop singing. No point in it. Okay? God says, I want you to trust me completely, just as Jesus did. Jesus trusted God completely. And because he trusted him, he was willing to obey in anything God wanted. Anything that God wanted. And Jesus says, that's what I want you to do. You don't need to understand everything. Just trust me. The um, very end of his ministry, John chapter 14, it's not up here on the screen, but the very end of the ministry, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he knew that he would be leaving very soon. They didn't. They thought they were all going to get a kingdom, but he knew he was leaving. And he said just simply, this is what I need you to do. I need you to trust God and to trust me. 
because there's some great, big, hairy things coming right at you. And you won't understand them. The only way to face them Jesus had to face so many things in his life. And he did so because he trusted his father completely. And then one final thing that Jesus did. There is so much we could talk about in Jesus. That's why I keep telling you, read the Gospels, read them, read them, read them. But we don't have time this morning. I don't have time in the sermon series. I don't have time in the time that's left to me to tell you everything that Jesus did. Except to remember that he really had a place for the down and out, the L-O-T's. He asked us specifically to love one another. He asked us specifically to trust God completely. But there's another thing that Jesus did. God says, this is what I want from you. Ready? He wants me to give my life away for the sake of others. Now that's what Jesus did more than anything else. And you say to yourself, uh, or to me perhaps, well, yeah, but Jesus died on the cross. God isn't asking me to hang on a cross. Well, literally, not like that, no. But Jesus did say something about a cross, didn't he? What did Jesus say about our own personal cross? You get the answer. Ah, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up his cross once a week. No, I didn't say that. Must take up his cross daily and follow me. Somewhere, somehow, we're going to sacrifice for the sake of others. That's what the cross was all about. Sometimes we take a cross and we, and we say, well, that's the cross I have to bear. And what we mean is that's a burden. Okay, that's not what the cross means at all. When we're saying that you have to pick up the cross and follow, he's not saying, take up your burdens. Okay, that's, we've, we've twisted that whole idea. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, everybody out there heard that knew what it meant. It meant that somewhere you're going to have to sacrifice for someone else. It isn't a burden. It's not, you know, I've got to, these relatives I don't like, but that's okay. My coworkers mean to me, but that's a cross I've got to bear. No, no, no. Those are burdens. You've got to bear them anyway, but they're not your cross. You know what it means to pick up the cross? Here it is. We're almost done. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. That's what it means to pick up the cross. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus came to show us God. Jesus came... To reveal what God is like. Jesus came to be obedient for us, and Jesus came to be the way to God, but Jesus also came to show us what God wants from us. What God wants from, from me is a loving, humble, trusting lifestyle of Jesus. That's what God wants. Here's the question, though. How? Is that even possible? And I'm going to tell you next week. As we close this whole series.
The fact is that God isn't interested in your religion or your songs. Or the, God is really interested in a loving, humble, trusting lifestyle. Are you willing to do that? You know why we're so religious? Because it's just so much easier. I can make a list. Do this. I went to church this morning. Check. Put in my money. Yep. Did I sing the songs? Kind of. Yep. Okay. No problem. Did I pray a couple times this week? Okay. God. hmm. Did I get drunk? Nope. Didn't get drunk. Good for me. Was I mean to anybody? Well, a couple, but I asked for forgiveness. Boop. Boom, 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 boom. Good. I'm good. It's what God doesn't want us to do. You're right. And because he doesn't want us to do it, that's what we do. Well done. I like that. You preach next week. There you go. <laughs> and God says, no. Don't you understand? I sent my son to show you how to live. Would you take care of the down and out? Can you do that? Can you love one another deeply? Can you trust me? Can you do those things? And are you willing to pick up that cross and sacrifice something for the sake of other people. That's what I want. Now I go to church and I sing the songs and then I give the money because it's an expression of all that. I want to thank you, but it's not a replacement. Are you willing to do it? Now, you say, that's hard. And I say, I know. Come back next Sunday. I will tell you how it's done. Any ideas how we might actually have this done for us? I think it's one word you might be able to, and that name is Jesus. He's going to show us the way to do it. He didn't just show us what to do. He also showed us how. That's next week. Right now what we want to do is just give you an opportunity. Maybe you're ready. Maybe this is the time that you, you understand, okay, you've been trying to please God through your religiosity. Isn't that a great word? Religiosity. I remember when I first learned that when I was so impressed. It just means how religious you are because you do all the religious things. God is not impressed. In fact, he's probably ticked off. It annoys him. No. A loving, humble, trusting lifestyle. How are you doing on that? That's what God wants. With those who are going to help me serve communion.